Hello and welcome back. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta. Thanks for tuning in. We are downtown in Salem, Oregon in studio today. Uh, again, appreciate you listening. Uh, whether this is your first episode or if you've listened to several of our episodes, just glad to, to have you tune into the show. Uh, we call it the Rooted Leadership Podcast, but ultimately we talk about so many different topics, an array of subjects, and we have wonderful guests on our show and uh, from various different backgrounds. And so we don't just talk about leadership, although, uh, you know, leaders probably specifically take a lot from this, this podcast. This, this, this show is really for, for anyone and everyone. There's a little something in each of our episodes for anybody to take away, whether you bear the title of a, of a leader or not, whether you're a parent, a sibling, a friend, and a colleague, an employee, a community member, uh, everything that we discuss can, can be related to those different aspects of our life. And so just want to thank you all for tuning in, whoever, whoever's listening today. Uh, before I introduce our guest, just always want to shout out why it is that we're doing what we're doing. You know, we are uh, a philanthropic organization and we started a leadership institute that we call Groundwork. And the idea was to raise the tide of leaders in our community, raise the tide of leadership in our community. And we believe that there's great leaders right now, but there's nothing wrong with being intentional and creating more and more in the future. So we want great leaders now and for many years to come. And our Leadership Institute, we call an institute, not just because it sounds cool, but because we really believe in becoming one. We want to house knowledge and information and learning and provide opportunities for growth uh, all over. And, and so we never claim to be the experts in leadership or in any of the topics that we cover, which is why we invite wonderful guests, guests and subject matter experts to, to come and talk to us and learn from them. We want to house all that information and that knowledge, not just for our leaders, but for our community as well, and ultimately to share with all of you. So our guest today, he is a football coach at UC Davis. His name is Mark Speckman, and he was introduced to me from uh, one of our principals in our community, was a former player of his. And so I, I actually don't know Mark personally, but I'm very excited to get to know him on this show today with all of you. Uh, and that's you know about the best info that I can give you in terms of uh, an introduction um, that would, would make it authentic. That's what I know about him. Uh, on Google, you can Google him and find out a whole lot more, but I'm going to allow him to, to introduce himself uh, he's been coaching from high school level all the way to the professional level, and uh, he has a book that I hope to discuss with him today called Figure It Out. Uh, I like that phrase, figure it out. But without further ado, give me a second and I will get him on a Zoom call and we'll get the show rolling. Thanks for tuning in to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Before our guest joins, you can catch more episodes, leadership tips, and community stories by following us on Facebook at Groundwork Leadership, on Twitter at Groundwork Salem, or on our website at groundworkleadership.org. Okay, we're back, and I have Mark on uh, our Zoom call. Uh, happy for him to join us. Mark, thanks for, thanks for tuning in today with us. My pleasure. It's good to be here. Where, where are you coming from? I know you coach down in UC Davis, but where are you right now? I'm in sunny, sunny Davis, California. And uh, the winds are blowing at about 30 miles an hour today, but it's uh, crystal clear skies and 
and uh, nice weather. So we've had practice. I, well, I'm coaching football at UC Davis. Uh, we're, we're supposed to play at Idaho in two weeks. So uh, who knows that'll actually happen, but we're, we're working and uh, getting ready to play. Good. And uh, is that Idaho State? No, it's the University of Idaho up in Moscow in their, in their big dome. Okay. Maybe dome. It'll be, it'll be an cool. Well, um, you know, our a mutual friend of ours, Rob Shoper, who was on our show a few weeks ago, you know, he's the one that connected us. I he said that you coached him at Willamette, I believe. Yeah. Um, and so when he when he started talking about that, I was excited to 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 speak with you because a, a large portion of my my life by marriage is is football. My my father, um, uh, father in law. Sorry, my wife's father. He. He coached for many years all over. He played back, uh, you know, in the late '80s, early '90s at BYU. Um, uh, his name is Mike Empey, and and his his son, my brother-in-law, is one of the one of the top-rated centers in the country right now at BYU. James Empey. Um, so we love we love football. We we love tuning in. We loved watching BYU this year. They played really well. So a great year. Yeah. So it was fun. Um, so I, I look forward to to any. Any uh, you know stories you want to share from from football and and uh, look forward to learning from you from you there. So tell us uh, tell us about more about yourself. I gave a brief intro. I usually pre-record an intro before we start, and and I gave a brief intro to you. And obviously, we didn't know each other before this, so you know, I I, I mentioned our connection through Rob, and that you currently coach football at UC Davis. So uh, and that was about it. And and I know you you mentioned. Uh, you know, you've coached everywhere from high school to, you know, professional level. So a lot of experience in that journey, but go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself, your story, what got you to where you're at right now, things you've learned along the way. Great. You know, I was born, uh, I was born uh, the middle child of, of, of um, three boys in Belmont, California. And my dad was a, a kind of a failed salesman turned custodian. And my mom was just a housewife. And, uh, my dad, I love football. And uh, yeah, when I was born, I was born without hands and I was born with nine toes. And so I was one of the youngest people in the United States to ever get fitted for hooks. So I was the third youngest person at the oh, time. Wow. And at that point, you know, the hooks were invented in the Civil War. And um, after World War II and in Vietnam, hooks were still pretty popular. And really, they're still probably the most effective thing. You know, you see these robot hands, but. Mm-hmm not strong enough. They don't have any tactile sensation. They, the fingers break off because they don't have enough strength. So a lot of people coming back from, you know, Afghanistan or wherever, you know, war injuries are still wearing hooks. Uh, but I learned early on, I hated them and, um, I was easy. I could do things better without them. And, and so, um, about junior high, I, I, I revolted and said, hey, you can buy them, but I'm not wearing them. And, um, I stopped wearing them. And, and just went just natural and, and was able to do pretty much anything I wanted to do. Um, oh, and if I couldn't do it, I would sit and figure out how to do it. And uh, had a lot of failed experiments over the years on things that I tried, you know, handbrakes on a bike being an example, but eventually would figure out a way to make it go. And uh, love football and football. Yeah, no, I, I uh, would listen to the coaches and they would tell you how to catch a ball or how to tackle. And it always involved hands. And again, I would just kind of listen and figure out, well, this is how I'm going to do it. And, um, you know, was lucky to have coaches that let me have some freedom. And I just you know played all through um, high school and college and um, 
remember vividly just thinking, what am I going to do? You know, nobody ever, I had no guidance counseling. I had no, nobody ever had any vocational <laughs> counseling for me. And I kind of liked, uh, when I was in high school, the vice principal said, hey, Speckman, if you ever get a teaching credential, I'll hire you. And he probably, it was probably just a throwaway line, mm-hmm. but I held on to that like a lifeline. And um, so I, you know, when I had to make a decision in college, I said, well, I'm going to be a teacher and didn't know what I was going to teach. Uh, thought I was going to do special ed because they needed special ed teachers. And I did that for a semester and could not, I did not like it at all. And uh, had some, I was a history major. So I got my history degree. And I thought the apex of my career was going to be just coaching high school football and teaching history. And I did that for quite a few years. 17 years. Then I had a chance to come up to Willamette University when Dan Hawkins was the uh, head coach and never heard of Willamette. Um, but just was at a point with my family that I brought you know, my three kids and my wife and we all moved to Salem and uh, knew they had great schools in Salem, became the offensive coordinator and we had a great run. We and won three championships in a row We went to the national championship game in 1997. And then Became the head coach at Willamette and was there until 2011. So I had two jobs in 25 years. And then um, I had a chance to go back to Menlo College and was a head coach there for a year. Then I went to Montreal and coached in the Canadian Football League for two years. Wow. And everybody gets fired in pro football. And uh, I didn't really get fired. They just didn't renew my contract. And uh, then I ended up at a little school in Wisconsin, which was a lot of fun. I never lived in Wisconsin. And yeah. luckily our kids were grown. And so... And then come back home to UC Davis and work with Dan Hawkins again uh, has been a great, great privilege and uh, really kind of fun. So I've, it's been a circular journey and I'm kind of about two hours from my hometown where I grew up, but I've been, been all over the country coaching and, and, uh, and working with uh, young, young athletes. Long, long answer. No, that's great. I love the, love the context um, and the, the stories behind it. Um you know, I mentioned this be right before we started recording, but when you, you know, you share those stories about, you know, not having hands and figure and figuring things out, I actually made the connection. You said, I hope we can get into this in a little bit, but your, your book, uh, in, which is entitled figure it out. I'm sure that it stems from, from growing up with, um, uh, with that. And, and, and there's some questions I have around it, but you know, before we started recording, I made, made that, that small connection of, uh, that I, I can't personally relate to, but some, my father relating to, he was born with, um, you know, with barely, barely a right hand, his whole arm is shorter than his left. And, and, uh, you know, I grew up never knowing or noticing that it ever held him back from anything. So, um, in fact, I remember one time specifically when I was probably 12 years old, you know, for our, for our church, they started to do like youth, youth basketball. And, and I loved basketball growing up. My, my dad's favorite sport, he's from the Philippines and they love basketball over there. And, so I, I always shot around in the front yard with my dad, you know, in our basketball hoop. Uh, but that was it. Like we just shot around and I'm the youngest of five. So, you know, he, I, he was probably done with me. So it's not like I saw him when he was in his youth, you know, he was getting older. Um, and so it's not like I ever went out and played with him, but I remember we played for this youth basketball and they invited your dad. So it was like father and son's basketball. And it was the first time that I actually watched my dad open up on a court. I mean, not, it, it's like, man, nothing stopped him. He was doing behind the back passes, everything, uh, you know, with one hand basically. And he's, you know, he still uses his other arm, but I was amazed. I was like, man, dad, why didn't you ever tell me that you played like this? <laughs> So I, I loved that. Um, but 
I can I can relate through him of him always figuring things out there. He's never let he's never let that hold him back on anything. And and I've learned a lot, you know, being his son, watching him watching him do that. So, uh, you know, I resonate with with that a, a little as you as you share that. But can you speak a little bit more to to just developing that mentality of figuring it out? You know, most you you, you just you figured it out. Some things that I don't even have to think about, like you said, the brakes on a on a bike, you know, that's just, I don't even have to think or worry about that. But for you, it's an opportunity to figure something out. I'm just really, I'm just really intrigued by that mentality of figuring, figuring things out. You know, one of the things that, that I, I, I liken it to is kind of like people that are blind, you know, are, are said to hear 30% better than people with sight mm. because they don't, they can't see. And so they have to hear better. Yeah. So when we cross the street, we look and listen and if you can't look, your listening gets way better. It's yeah, not like yeah. the power goes about you're in the dark. You're, you know, you can hear spiders. And um, because every day I had to figure something out, you know, like how am I going to get to the top of the jungle gym or how am I going to, you know, make the hands drawing for Thanksgiving or how am I going to uh, play basketball or how am I going to play baseball or how am I going to play a musical instrument? And it, it was just... I, I think my parents, you know, a lot of people have asked, well, how do they, you know, how do they treat you? And, and neither were college graduates and they're blue collar and they're, they were great parents, but they intuitively, I think knew that if they didn't get me going, they just didn't treat me like everybody else. I wasn't going to be like everybody else. Mm-hmm. That was the goal. You know, you want to just fit in. And, um, so if it was my, t- you know, if it was my turn to go sweep the patio, then I had to go sweep the patio. They had no idea how I was going to do it. I had no idea. How yeah. I yeah. Go out and sweep the patio, and uh, it was my turn to, um, you know, walk the dogs. It was my turn to, you know, empty the dishwasher, whatever it was. And and I think there was a genius to that leadership uh, style in that they just didn't accept excuses. And it, mm-hmm. and I would complain, well, it's going to take me twice as long as you know my older brother, and they'd say, well, then you're going to take twice as long. And and, and uh, I figured, well, I don't want to take twice as long, so I'll just get real fast at it. And um, you know, I, and so I think when you daily have to figure out, you know, how to go to a rental car counter and make everybody feel at ease to rent you a car, and how do you go on to a home or a school and, and and recruit athletes, and they've never seen you, they are they don't know who you are, and you walk in, you don't have hands, and how do they, how do you make them feel at ease and comfortable and still sell your product, and those are things that you know, again, I just have to do daily, you know, and and. You know, do people want to shake hands or do they not want to shake hands? I could go, you know, again, on and on. It's not a sad story. It's just, it is what it is. And mm-hmm. you really have two choices. You know, either you figure it out or, you know, you don't reach your potential. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. My, uh, I had, a, I had a, one of my favorite mentors. He would always say, we just got to throw them in the deep end and let them figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, and I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, that's tried, that's, a philosophy I've tried to to live by by in some degree, you know, a lot of things that I I find myself doing, I'm thinking, well, I've have no idea what I'm doing here. Starting a leadership institute, I don't know how to do that, but throw in the deep end, get thrown in the deep end and figure it out. It's been a you know a good uh, a good thing for me, and and again, even even rooted in since I was a kid with with uh, with you know being raised by by great parents teaching me those those principles. So I love that. Um, well. Since I mentioned the the book, um, 
Can you tell us a little bit more more about it? I'm sure that you've already hit on a number of principles that are in it, but give tell us a little bit more information about it. Any if there is more inspiration to it other than what you've already mentioned. Um, just curious. Yeah, you know, one of the things that that I got into uh, when I started coaching high school football is is public speaking, and um, you, you know, I go to the Kiwanis Club or I go to the, the Lions Club, and you know. You know, and that's what high school coaches do when you get everybody fired up for your team. And and obviously they would start asking questions about, well, you know, about my hands and you know, how do you do this or how do you do that? And, and then somebody would hire me to come talk to their workers because they thought it was an inspirational story. And I never really liked that angle, but I kind of started, you know, I kind of just felt at peace after I, as I got older about, hey, I can talk about this. You know, I can, and maybe it will help somebody. I don't know. It doesn't seem like that great a story to me, but if, you know, and so I try to not just talk about me, but talk about reaching your potential and figuring it out and how we all have this ability that is latent in a lot of us. A lot of us just don't use it or we don't trust ourselves because we haven't had to use it. And um, so I started, you know, when, when I was at Willamette, I did a lot of speaking, um, which I thought was good for recruiting and I thought was good for the Willamette brand. And um had a chance to go all over the country and speak to all kinds of companies. And, and then one of the things I found out is that as I spoke at some bigger conferences, everybody had a book and uh, everybody said, Hey, where's your book or where's your CDs? And I'm, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm usually <laughs> typing letters and doing football stuff on the plane. I'm not, you know, this isn't, this is just my side gig or something I do for, you know, for fun. And uh, so one of my players at uh, Willamette's name, um, Jason Niedemeyer, he's a teacher at South Salem High School right now. Um, he, you know, we, we were talking. He said, I'll write your book, Coach. I'll ghostwrite it. And um, he took a season off of coaching. and I paid him his coaching stipend, and, and we split the proceeds. And, and he would tape some of the stuff, and, we, and then he'd write it in his own style. It kind of sounds like me. And, and, uh, and then I'd say, no, that's not right. I'd redline it, and, and he'd go back and fix it. And I kind of wrote the beginning and the end, and he wrote the the bulk of it and it really was a kind of a fun uh project and he did a great job and he's a great writer and um but you know it, 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 i really was just trying to tell a story like people want people are curious when they see somebody different and and i think most people don't think they could do it i think when people look at me they go i couldn't do that i mean how's he do that and um and a lot of times i look at myself and go i can't do that how am i going to do that and the reality is we kind of figure it out and there's all kinds of your dad's an example, or there's all kinds of people that have no business doing anything like they're doing and they're doing it. You know, they, you know, they're not big enough, fast enough, smart enough, rich enough, strong enough, and yet they, they can do it. And, and I think part of it is just this, I'm not sure I can figure everything out, but I'm really confident that a good shot. And, um, you know, and, and then part of, part of figuring it out is sometimes just asking when you need help. And, uh, you know, if I, you know, one of my, one of my, you know, part of the book is, you know, just stories of times I've had to ask people for help. Like I really, I can't tie my shoes mm-hmm. and I have come up with all kinds of, you know, do anybody's looking for lacing uh, tips. I've, I've got them. And that's, uh, I've scoured the internet. I know all the no tie shoelaces. I, I got my favorite brand, but it's, you know, and I'm 65 now and it took me a long time, but, you know, I'm 40 years old and I'm asking people to tie my shoes. That's a little humiliating. And when I played college football, you know, I, I tell a story in the book about almost going home the night before the first practice, because 
I was so scared. Like, who's going to tie my stuff? I didn't know anybody at the college I was going to. I mean, I was just in high school, everybody's tying my stuff. They were all my buddies and they were, everybody was comfortable. And I'd grown up with them. They knew I couldn't tie them. And I remember walking in just scared to death going, you know, how am I going to tie all this equipment? There's a ton of tying in, in football. Yeah. And um, I had to ask for help. I just, you know, I asked the guy next to me and he looked at me like I was kind of freak and said, okay, well, here we go. And, you know, once I proved I could play, when my shoes came and tied, all of a sudden, just like in high school, somebody tied them for me. And, um, if I hadn't asked for help, I, I would never play college football when I got my uniform on. Yeah. Love that story. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot packed in there, you know, of just that I'm, that I'm, that I'm hearing. I mean, part of one, one big thing is, you know, when we feel like we can't do something and we don't ever try, then, you know, there's so much learning that, that we miss out on, right? Because at least in my experience, it's, it's the, the failures or the, 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 the mistakes that we learn when we're trying something where, um, you know, the biggest takeaways happen for me. Right. Um, right. And so there's beauty in that, right. Just across the board for everyone of just kind of getting over perhaps the fear, the concern, uh, that's in front of us of the, for the reason of why we don't want to, to do something and, and doing it. Cause there's so much learning ahead of us there. Um, but I'm curious, you know, uh, we have listeners of all types, but we started this mainly tailored to leaders, but ultimately there's a little something for everyone and everything we we discuss here. But when you talk about reaching potential, potential is something I'm very intrigued by. Um, I just always have been. I feel like, you know, a, a fraction of us live to our fullest potential um, in every in every way. I feel like uh, we just have incredible potential as human beings. But but when it comes to reaching your potential as a leaders, um, you know, what would you say, say to them? You know, if you, if you had working with a group of leaders, probably very similar to what you say to your players, but you have a group of leaders that, and, and a lot of leaders that we work with, they're running organizations in our community, you know, they're CEOs of nonprofits or principals at schools, uh, superintendents, um, business leaders, uh, you know, a lot on their plate and, it's easy when you're in a role like that to feel like you're, you know, you're, you're maybe living a, a higher level of potential, let's say, right? It might be easy to feel that. But I still believe that there's, it's, even, it's still a fraction of what they could, you know, accomplish. And to me, it's, you know, it, it happens when, like what you said, when we start to work with others, when we start to ask for help, when we start to collaborate. Um, I, have a, I have a saying that I, I live by, which is, you know, the... Uh, 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 <laughs> The, the solution is is usually down the hall, <laughs> right? The solution is staring across the table from you in a, in a conference room, or the solution is down the street. You just got to go and find it. And so I feel like potential has something to do with involving others. But again, I'm, I'm rambling now, but I just want to backtrack to the original question of what would you say you know, to leaders um, when it comes to reaching their potential? Well, I think you know, so many times leaders, we are so worried about people we're leading reaching their potential that we forget sometimes that we have to reach our potential. So we try to play it safe. We try to do, you know, we kind of got our cookie cutter answers. We kind of got our yearly plan. And then where are we going to, to learn that? Where, you know, one of the great things about coaching football is that most football coaches um, of my generation, it's changing a little bit, but for the most part, if you go say, Hey, how do you, how do you block a blitz out of a four, three defense? Somebody will sit down and talk for an hour about it mm-hmm. because they like talking football. And 
I, I spent a lot of time at Oregon State and Oregon and um, high school coaches and clinics up in Portland and just I will always try to have a question in, that I could get answered in the off season that would make us better. And um, and I, so for us as leaders, sometimes how do we reach our potential? I think you got to talk to your staff like how did we did we you know did we reach everybody did we reach our goal you know i mean good leaders have a vision i mean in football it's win all the games um you know i used to talk all the time at um willamette about winning the national championship well that was going to be a pretty tall order yeah but you know we didn't just worry about it's not it's kind of like climbing mount everest you don't just go climb mount everest you got to go to base camp stay there for a couple weeks and you got to go up to base camp and back down and everybody wants to get to the top of mount everest but they aren't willing to put the time in a base camp and and then all the up and down to the other base camps and then you get to base camp four and you make a, a run for the summit and i just felt like um if we never talk about getting to the top of everest we're never going to get to the top of everest but we got to do the work to get there and and so i think you know for for the potential it was always always talking about the steps to get up the, up the mountain to be the best or to, to reach its fullest potential to raise the most money or whatever you're supposed to do and how do how do you get there and and a lot of times it looks bleak, like you don't know, there's no answers. And so you ask people for help. You ask people for ideas. You see what other people are doing. And I mean, I think there has to be, to reach your potential, I think you have to have a pretty insatiable curiosity mm-hmm. about, about what you're doing and how can you do it better. And um, I don't think you want to be obsessed, but I think you better be pretty close. Yeah. And you better be pretty focused on your self-growth and how are, how are we going to get better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I love the analogy of, uh, of the base camps, you know, um, <laughs> you want to reach the top of Everest, but there's base camps that you have to get to. So there's this idea of pacing ourselves, um, which that's one of those points of, of, I think feeling overwhelmed or, or a sense of failure that a lot of us face when we are trying to accomplish something, we put a lot of energy towards it, but maybe it doesn't happen in the way or the timing that we want, but Perhaps ultimately we've we've just gotten to a base camp and and there's more that we need to figure out and we're maybe upset because well this isn't the top of Everest but it's it's a base camp so um, that's progress and so I think there's something to be said about 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 pacing and and I love the idea of you know with with others that there's there has to be others involved right we it's like we we don't get up the mountain alone. Um, and the idea of climbing a mountain to me is very metaphorical in, in general, but it actually means quite a bit to me personally. Um, just a quick story, and I've, I've, I've shared this on another episode, so apologize ahead of time, listeners, uh, for repeating a story. But, um, you know, there was a time in my life when I was first married, my, uh, my wife and I's marriage was struggling greatly, and uh, I, it was so bad. You know, was, I look back and it was a really dark time for me, you know. And there, I thought that she was going to leave. I mean, I, there was one night I really thought she was done. That's how bad it was. Um, and anybody who's had relationship struggles knows this feeling. It's just, it's a scary feeling, you know, to, to realize that you might lose someone, but also that you've maybe failed at something, right? It's, I've clearly failed. And so I'm dealing with that. But on the outside of my life, I was in, co- I was in college at the time and I was, I was doing really well. I mean, everything. I was a college athlete and I was excelling there. Uh, my a- academically, I was doing well. I had a great job that was giving me plenty of opportunities to do things in the future, and I was performing well in that arena. I mean, every facet of my life on the on paper looked really good, 
But then here was my struggling marriage. And so I, I, I hated this time because I didn't know which one I wanted to believe. I didn't know which one was actually reality. This one where it felt like I was climbing the mountain and having so much success or my personal life where I felt like I was an absolute failure um, and that there was no hope. And so I had this dichotomy of how do I, which one do I want to actually believe is my real life and which one, which one is it? And so that's where I was. And one morning, one of my, uh, my boss and my mentor at the time, he, uh, we, we, I went to school in Hawaii and so we would hike this mountain uh, occasionally and he would hike it every morning, but sometimes I would join him and before the sunrise over on the North Shore in Laie. And, and so one morning he invited me and, and we were very close. Uh, he's still a, a very dear friend and mentor to me, but uh, he invited me and we hiked up and it was dark and that whole time he kept talking to me about my potential, right? And that's why I think this is relevant to what you're talking about. He kept talking to me about my potential. Oh, Chris, you can do this. You can do that. There's so many wonderful things ahead of you. And when you hear that once or twice, it's kind of nice. Like, oh, that's it's flattering. But after several times, it gets kind of weird, a little off-putting. Like, what is he up to right now? And so his name's Chad. So I'm just thinking to myself, Chad, what are you, what are you up to, man? Like, it's over, over the top, over the top. You're giving me compliments and telling me about my potential as we're climbing this mountain. And, uh, you know, we get to the top of the mountain and he, uh, he says, Hey, give me a few moments. He likes to meditate up there. And so he says, give me about 15 minutes and then let's come back here and, and just, you know, talk a little bit before we head back down. And so he goes off and, and I'm like, well, I, I guess I'll try this. And this was before I got into meditation. I, I really love med- meditating now, but before I, I just hated it. And I hated being alone, especially at this time in my life, because I had to think about all my problems <laughs> and I like to run from my problems. So I didn't like to be left with myself to think about my failure in my marriage. Uh, so, I'll, you know, I, I do my best, but we come back together. And, and this isn't the first time that I've had a one-on-one conversation with Chad. We, we met weekly. And we talked about all the things that we were doing for, for work at this center that I worked at. And, and, and every time we would meet in his office, he would always look at me and be like, is there anything you want to talk about, Chris? Like anything else that I can help you with? And he was such a mentor to me that I wanted to just tell him about how my life was, you know, but I was too ashamed. I was too afraid to tell him. Uh, I was afraid that I would be judged or I was afraid that you know, I just didn't, I was embarrassed to tell him that, hey, my, my marriage is falling apart. Um, so I never did. And so we're sitting across from one another and we're talking, he's giving me the same look, like he just wants me to open up, but I'm too afraid to say anything. So he, you know, and, and he had no idea. He had no idea until two years ago, I actually told him he had no idea that I was struggling in my marriage. Uh, but on this moment, many years ago on the mountaintop, he just looks at me and he says, Chris, you probably realize all those nice things I was saying about, I was saying about you on the hike up, right? And I said, I said, yeah, Chad, it was kind of weird. Why were you doing that? And we kind of laughed and he said, well, I knew it was kind of over the top, but I just really want you to know that I believe in you and that I really believe that you have the potential to do those things. And I just want to make sure that you believe that. But then he looked at me right in the eye and he said, I, I, I feel like I need to tell you something else about it. And I said, sure, tell me. And he said, I don't know if you will accomplish even a fraction of those things. And he knew my wife really well. Her name is Kenzie. He said, if you, you won't accomplish even a fraction of those things, if you don't keep Kenzie a part of everything that you do, and if you don't stay involved in everything she does. And it was like exact words that I needed to hear from the right person on the right moment on this mountaintop in Hawaii with a beautiful, bright sky. It was just like the perfect setting for me to finally hear what I needed to hear. Because in that moment, I didn't say anything. I just nodded my head, but inside I was just bursting. You know, I, I, I never wanted to change so quickly in my entire life. 
and I ran down the mountain metaphorically. I actually walked down the mountain with Chad. But in my mind, my memory of that day, I was sprinting, man. I was sprinting down this mountain and I get to the, you know, I say goodbye to him at the trailhead at the bottom and I ride on my little bike quickly back to our studio apartment and I, you know, I leave these muddy shoes that I had from the hike at the door, which is now extremely metaphorical to me to leave the muddy shoes at the door and uh, crawl. And I went into the bedroom, fell on my knees by the bedside where she was sleeping and I started to to plead my forgiveness for forgiveness from from her and and that was the first step of many that I needed to take to you know to fix my relationship with her but looking back you know Chad's words were so true that my potential you know hinged upon my relationships with people um and in this case my wife who was the closest person to me and who is my best friend and who I know I wouldn't be able to do anything that I do now without her and so you know his words then meant uh, meant to, uh, meant a lot to me but now they even mean more and so when I love this analogy of climbing a mountain, and I'll stop talking here in a second, um, because to me, I realized how I needed to go back down the mountain um, because I wasn't ascending uh, properly, if that makes sense. And um, and I think that all of us had, need to ask those questions as well, is what are we leaving at base camp <laughs> that we need? Did we forget something? Because we're going to get up here and it's going to, you know, uh, we're not going to be able to handle the elevation because we forgot our mask or whatever the case is. And in my case, I forgot something vital. Um, I was basically going up without even a coat on. Um, and I would not have ended up where I en- have ended up now without uh, having that day running down the mountain and leaving those muddy shoes at the door. Uh, but anyway, I talk, I'm talking way too much. You're our guest. So let let, let you respond. Well, well, I, think that's a, I think that's a powerful story. It really is. And, and I, I think it fits right. You get so many people are trying to reach their potential, but they're, they're, they got the parking brake on mm-hmm. in their life. There's, there's, um, you know, the, there's nobody drives a manual transmission too much, but I mean, they're stuck in second gear. They can't get going no matter how hard they try or the windshield's muddy and every, the more they put the wipers on the muddier it gets. And, uh, because, you know, like you say, you can, if you don't have oxygen, you're not going to survive on Everest and you know, you're going to get sick and, no matter how hard you try and how hard you train and how obsessed you are with that. And, and to me, it's really about the balance. You're really climbing several mountains in your life. Mm-hmm. Like you're straddling two mountains and one's a personal life and one's a, a professional life. And you can't go faster in one than the other without doing some damage or, or, you know, really getting stretched out of shape. And, uh, I just think so many people, um, you know, most of us just don't reach our potential. I'm not saying I have or, or, or even close, you know, I mean, it's amazing what human beings can do, mm-hmm. but you know, getting everything in order in your life too, is, is a big part of being a great leader. And if, you know, if you're doing a great job at, at work, but your kids and your wife are a mess or your family's a mess or you're, you know, you're involved in something that's a mess. It, 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 it's going to bleed over. Yeah. And, um, so it really is a, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a balance that you have to have to really try to maintain, no doubt. Yeah. And I, by no means, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I am not, li- I, I, I never claim to live that I'm living, that I've cusped the level of potential. <laughs> In fact, I, I still feel like I have a, a quite a bit to do, but I do know for sure that, um, you know, that my relationship with my, with my wife, um, building off that story is integral in that. But I, you know, the idea of balance, I think, is is really important as well. Um, like you've mentioned, I think it goes along with the theme of you know what you've said of, of figuring it out. Because 
work-life balance is probably one of the hardest things for for leaders, um, you know, that have families and that have, uh, you know, a personal life to maintain. And then they have their professional life. And then, you know, people that are religious have their religious life. And, and how do we balance all of it? But I agree with what you said that, you know, our, our potential hinges upon figuring that out. Um, and I, I just love that, that simple phrase, figure it out. <laughs> uh, it's going to mean more to me now after we've had this conversation of, of just the simple phrase of figuring it out. But um, that balance, I think, is important. And, and, and we have a responsibility to figure, to figure it out. And, and we're not always dealt the best cards. Some of us have crazy relationships where there's lots of things going on and there's even pain involved. And, and, and I, you know, if we, that can consume us and, and perhaps make us, make us victim to things. And I'm not, I'm separating the actual victims that are out there. There's real victims, but we can certainly play a victim in our life um, or we can figure it out. So I, I love that. I love the grittiness uh, behind it as well. Um, which makes a which makes you a good football coach. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because when you start talking about pot- potential, sometimes everybody just kind of goes home like bummed out, like mm-hmm. you know, yeah, well, I'm not even close. I'm not even close. You know, I, yeah, I'm 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 out. And uh, or you know, look at me. I'm 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 doing some menial job, or I'm you know running a small company, or whatever it is, and. You know, I just saw something on TV the other night that, you know, I'm a guy's delivering pizza in this town for 30 years. And uh, he thinks that's his calling in life and he loves it. And the people, he's driving an old Oldsmobile that's rusted out. And one of the customers goes, you know what, we should get this guy a new car. And he raised the money in two days because everybody in the community, small town, 8,000 people. And you can even be uh, an inspiration as a pizza delivery guy, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you know, I, and one of my favorite sayings is, is uh, success is doing a common thing in an uncommon way. You know, George Washington Carver. And um, it's just to me, you know, it's really, you know, just being present. And, you know, I know my wife and I, you know, she would say, why, what are you doing at work all the time? Or is this, are you on another recruit call? Or, you know, you're not, you know, why, you know, your dinner's on the table and I'm coming home late and I'm not having to, you know, and. And I try to explain, well, pastors do this too, honey. You know, sometimes pastors have to go out in the middle of the night and take mm-hmm. care of their flock. Doctors do this too, you know, and sometimes they got to operate. And, you know, I'm not doing anything quite as grandiose as that. I'm just trying to, you know, design some plays that'll score touchdowns. But in a, in a bigger sense, it's when you're leading a, com- a community of people and building a culture, you are the visionary and you are trying to get them to go in the right direction. And, and, They've all got pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, but I've got the box top. I got, I got the big picture and um, it it takes time and and energy to get that vision in front of everybody. And, um, and there, therein lies the balance, you know, and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, having a wife that's on board and, um, you know, being there when you're with your kids and really being there and not being at work. I mean, there's all kinds of things and books written about this and, and nobody's really got it figured out, but, you've got to figure out your own situation. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure I can help you figure out yours, but I can tell you how I did mine. Yeah. I love, uh, I love the example of the pizza delivery guy, because sometimes we feel like reaching fullest potential. We, you know, we prescribe some sort of baked assumption to that, you know, that, uh, success for some, for looks a certain way or that achieving potential looks a certain way, you know, when reality it's, it's different for, for everyone. And, 
Um, that's why I love what you shared about that, that, uh, pizza delivery, uh, individual, because one thing that we actually cover in our, in our Institute is we spend a fair amount of time talking about our, our why, right? We call it getting rooted in, um, you know, are, are you rooted in as, as a leader, which means, you know, your why and your why doesn't change whether you're a pizza delivery guy or a, or a open heart surgeon, right? Your why should be the same in any of those, no matter what you do or where you find yourself. And, and to be honest, I don't know if a whole lot of people have a, a why that's that deep, you know, that forever right. guides their print, their, their, their principles in their, their life. Do they truly live at that? Uh, do we truly, and I'm saying we, cause I'm included in this. Do we truly live at that deep, authentic level of life? Or do we just, you know, the inauthenticity of living life day to day and letting life happen to us? Um, I think, it, I think it's important and, and knowing our why and being rooted in as leaders um, I think is incredibly uh, valuable. Uh, and, you know, I, th- I think of my dad because on uh, perhaps on a, a, a worldly paper standard, you know, he might not look that successful. Um, you know, he, he managed, managed the Ross Dress for Less my, my whole life, right? It's not a very sexy, glamorous job by any means. Um, but, you know, the, the, the guy has taught so many stories to me, so many things to me and my siblings that we'll never forget. And they, and we share those through stories and, and, um, and he, all, all five of his kids are still happily married to their spouses and he has 19 grandkids and his, every single one of them adores to get the, the man and, and his why is his family. It always has been, that is his deepest, deepest form of why. And so when you, when you measure his potential, on that spectrum, um, he far exceeds uh, uh, anything else uh, in my in my mind. Um, but it was because he was rooted in from you know from a very very young age of what was the most important thing to him, um, and it was his family. and And he's taken well you know great care of us. Um, and so uh, I lo- I love that concept that you brought up. Uh, that potential is different for everyone, and it, I think it's directly connected to knowing our why. And not just personally, but organizationally, you talked about vision, you know, um, when we do have a vision as an organization, as a team, um, are people rooted into that? Are they connected to it enough um, to help them get through uh, the challenging times? And you you might relate to this a little bit, you know, being a, a, an athlete and a coach, but some people think I'm weird. You know, I, I'm one of those people that get up super early to go to the gym and there's other people at the gym. They just, you know, they, they don't really work out like I, I do. You know, I, I wake up at usually in between 4.30 and 5 and I'm at the gym right away. And when I go to the gym, I go really hard at the gym. Like I'm just killing myself there. And uh, I don't have anything to train for anymore, right? And, and so at first, after being a college athlete, I was just used to training hard. And, and it never stopped, but it changed from just being used to it to now. It's kind of this weird mental game that maybe you'll relate to. I don't know, but you know, I push myself really hard in the morning because in my mind, if I can push myself at 4.30 in the morning to work really hard and push my body to the limits, then I know I've kind of taught myself and proved to myself that day that the day, there's not much that can happen in that day that I'm not going to be able to work through, right? Because I, I already got up this morning and did a crazy workout and, and you know, almost killed myself uh, working out. Uh, so I can certainly get through, you know, a difficult thing that happens at work or you know, a difficult uh, a disagreement uh, in my in in my relationship, or my kids are acting up, whatever the case is. 
Um, that's how my brain functions. I don't know if normal, if that's what normal people think, think about, but that's how, that's how I think. And again, I think it's right in line with, with everything that we've been talking about. Yeah. Well, I'm not so sure I want to get up at 430 and lift anymore. <laughs> you know, that, that, that doesn't fire my rockets, but you know, success principles say, you know, if you've got a job and you get the, you know, you, you know, try to tackle something early, that's hard and get it out of the way. And, um, that's a good success principle. And when you're freshest and you're awake and you're starting the day and that feeling of satisfaction of, you know, crossing that off your list and getting it done or, you know, or just, you know, the way you feel when you're done working out is, is, is a reward that feels good. And that's a small success. And, you know, good leaders are just kind of, in my opinion, man, you just, you, you live on small successes, you know, I mean, every now and then you win a championship every now and then, you know, there's a, you know, you're, get an award or something to happen. But most of the time it's just um, a note from an ex player or, uh, you know, assistant coach saying, Hey, that was a great idea that we pulled off in the game or whatever. I mean, small successes are what, you know, kind of fuel big successes. And I think too many people are waiting for the big win, the big, the big payoff. And they don't come that often, you know, and mm-hmm. so how do you, how do you fill the time in between? You have small successes. Yeah little spokes to the wheel. Um, well, I want to, I want to honor your time. And so I want us to be able to wrap up here in a couple minutes, but just as a, a last thought or question from, you know, that you can answer or thought you can share. We were we just recently, we were talking about the, you brought up, um, you know, that I can't remember the words that you used for it, but what came to mind was we don't always learn from, um, the successes, right? We learn from the failures and, and even through stories, I remember I had a somebody in my life once that was in a leadership role uh, who was a good person, but you know every time he would share a story was about how awesome he was <laughs> and and uh, I never learned from it because I always felt that it was out of reach for like what you said like well, I can't do that, you know he said well, when you're talking about potential, you said people kind of shut off a little bit, and so I always felt like, well, it's good for you that you could figure it out and and it was actually during the time when I was struggling in my, my marriage and he always talked about how wonderful his marriage was. And I'm like, well, that seems out of reach for me. So I just was always shut off by it. But I believe that there's a power in bad stories about us, right? The stories where we failed um, and where we, where we didn't make it right at first. You know, we had to learn and it was hard because anytime somebody shares one of those, I, I lean in and I'm more th- thinking because I can relate to them, you know? Um, which is why I think, you know, just a lot of your your whole story of figuring it out since you were a kid is is so helpful for people, which is why they lean in because, you know, you're not sharing all these wonderful things that you, you've you've accomplished. You're sharing the struggles of how you've had to figure it out. And I think there's ex- just a lot of power in that. Um, and so in closing, do you have a something that comes to mind, maybe a story or an example in, in your your life in any facet? uh personally, professionally, uh, anything that, that comes to mind where you had to figure it out and perhaps you did fail, perhaps things weren't going as planned. Um, and, uh, and what did you learn from it? Yeah, that's a great, that's really a great question. And, and, and I, I, I think people react so much better when they, you get to, to your failures than they do your successes, because a lot of times you hear people and you're going, man, I don't, I'm not driving that good a car and I don't have that big a house and I don't have that good a job. And, you know, when I coached pro football, I thought that was pretty cool, even, you know, in Canada and I'm up there and it was a neat place. Montreal's a great city, but 
as a football job. That was my least favorite. I, I would do high school before I do the pro football. Hmm. It's because for lots of reasons. And, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And um, had, we had four different head coaches in two years and, and they kept firing everybody and players were getting blown. I mean, it was just hard. You, you, you weren't going to be successful there, but to answer your question. Like I'm really grateful for Linfield college because they made me a way better football coach because we couldn't beat them for a while. And I, it made me, when you win a game, you're going, Hey, that was great. Gosh, I'm glad we won. Everybody's happy. All the parents are happy but you really don't study it. Hmm. You know, you really don't say, well, we still fumbled two times and, you know, if they, they hadn't jumped off sides in that field goal, they would have beat us. And you're just happy you won. But when you lose, you know, I think successful people go back and man, that that is what drives you that you, you are going to fix that. Hmm. And, uh, and I know throughout my, my career, there was always a Atwater high school or a Linfield college, a team that was, we had to beat to win it. And they made me better because of, of the of the failures. Because mm. I, I could figure it out, but man, it took some time. I had, to, I had to humble myself and say, you know, maybe I'm not as smart as I thought I was, or maybe, you know. And, and of course, if, at first you said, well, they have all these advantages. You know, we can't beat them anyway. And, uh, you know, everybody had a reason why we couldn't win. But the reality was, nobody cared during the game. You know, nobody wanted to say, hey, the reason they scored is because you know their guy didn't have as good an SAT as a Willamette guy. Nobody cared. Yeah. And, um, you know, I remember trying to lift weights in high school and play call high school football. And there's no weights that I, nobody showed me how to, you know? And so you go, well, again, the defeat was, I didn't know what to do, mm-hmm. but my coaches kind of just left me alone in a corner and gave me a towel and I could learn how to just help the guys could, I could do curls with towels and people could hold it. And, I could do triceps on chairs and I could just, I just played around in the weight room like a little kid with blocks and, and figured out my own way of doing it. So I think there's two things. One is you got to, you know, you can't be so many people are put off by defeat and if they're not good at something, they quit. I mean, most, most of us played in musical instruments when we were kids and most of us quit Mm -hmm. because we weren't very good at it. And it takes time, you know, it takes time and it takes, there needs to be a confidence. And, and that's really what I hope leaders do is give people confidence that even though you failed or you're not very good at it, or that lesson plan wasn't very good, but you could do it better if you did this, or, you know, there's a better way of doing something. And I've been blessed to have opportunities where I've failed. Like I, I've never been the first pro. I was never first choice of any head coaching job I've had. I've had six, seven head coaching jobs. Never was I the first choice. Now, maybe I'm just a lousy interview, hmm. but the reality is, you know, maybe because I didn't have hands and they didn't know how to deal with that. Maybe they're, maybe there's a better guy. I don't know. But that kind of drives me some, you know, those things drive you like, okay, well, what do I got to do better? And when you get in and when you get a chance, you I mean, you make the most of it. And um, if you don't make the most of it, you go down in flames, but at least you did it the best you could. And I've had a lot of game plans that we just, you know, we walked off the field went, oh, that didn't work. And, um, but you don't quit, you know, you don't stop and you don't, you just study it and you get, you get better at it. And you, yeah. you ask for help from people that know more than you. And, and, um, you know, I just, I just think you have to have the confidence. I've, I've had so many spectacular failures trying to learn things in my life. 
uh, from riding a bike to shooting a bow and arrow to playing baseball. I mean, I could go on and on, all these crazy stories. But it was never like, I, I, thankfully, when I failed, I guess I wasn't laughed, and, laughed at or, I mean, people just say, well, you know, I guess you can't do that. And I said, well, no, let me think about it for a while. And, and usually you can think of something to do and a way of doing something. I just think there's a confidence that comes with defeat because once you win, you're going to understand you, you can bounce back. You know, one of my favorite sayings is turn your setbacks into comebacks. Yeah. And I just think that people, you know, when you lose it, it's not the end of the world. It's, um, it's just the beginning of a new lesson. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know as a football coach, that's really true. Yeah. Amen. Well, loaded with nuggets uh, of knowledge there and things that I, I would love to expound on, but I want to definitely want to honor your time. Um, and we're getting to the kind of the top of the hour, which we usually allocate for these episodes. But uh, again, I could keep talking to you forever uh, for a while, but just want to thank you for, for taking the time to, to join the show. Um, uh, obviously first time we've ever met, but uh, I won't forget this interaction. It's been, it's been a blessing to me. So uh, if, uh, if it's, if it's, if it's meant to be, I, hopefully I'll be able to talk to you, you know, at another, another time. Um, actually maybe, you know, maybe I'll have you, maybe we'll have you come out and, and speak to our leadership group at some point. That'd be fun to have you come out in, in person, um, and actually spend some time, uh, with them, but, uh, sure. Appreciate you, uh, and, and the stories that you've shared. I'm glad I'm, I'm certain that our our listeners will, will enjoy this, this episode as well. So just thank you for your time. And thank you, Chris. I, I enjoyed it and uh, look forward to spending more time with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks Mark. I'll, I'll let you go, but okay. take care. All right. Uh, listeners, that was amazing episode. Um, an amazing episode with Mark. Awesome stories, obviously, you know, incredible uh, life story, having to learn how to, how to do so many things that I certainly take for granted often because I have two hands, right? And he had, he grew up without hands and um, and has obviously n- never let it hold hold him back. So um, just that's that's just a fraction of the value that that he adds. Um, uh, that part about him, there's so much more that he that he adds to to the conversation and, and just terms of knowledge that we can we can learn from and and hopefully remember. Uh, but it's time for us to end the show. So just want to say thanks to all of you for tuning in. Please, you know, continue to listen to our other episodes. If you haven't listened to all of them, go back and listen to others, share it, uh, download it, and uh, keep spreading the good word. 